HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This piece was brought to you by Roberta's, robertaspizza.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. We're a member-supported food radio network broadcasting over 35 weekly shows live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. Join our hosts as they lead you through the world of craft brewing, behind the scenes of the restaurant industry, inside the battle over school food, and beyond. Find us at heritageradionetwork.org. Hello and welcome to Snacky Tunes. I'm one half your host, Greg Bresnitz. I'm the other half your host, Darren Bresnitz. Darren, good to hear you as always. Greg, great to hear from you. We are so lucky to sit down with one of the legendary ice cream makers, bosses, just one of the most inspiring women we sat down with um, in the field of food and sort of business, Jenny Britton Bauer, um, owner of Jenny's Splendid Ice Creams. You've seen the, the flavors and now you get to hear the story of how she sort of built everything. It's really an inspirational tale of how she started off, um, like just being involved with art and excited about that and then moving into making such a killer ice cream brand. What did you get to have? What flavors? Uh, we had the Brambleberry Crisp and uh, a few other secrets which you'll have to listen to uh, in the interview. I will be expecting a couple cones when I come out to L.A. Yes, we have some pints in the freezer. Perfect. After Jenny, we have our final hardest-working band in New York City from 2017, Big Bliss. Pair brothers and their best friend get together, talk about the merits of practice, their upcoming LP, whether or not they're going to tour through South by Southwest or finish their record, and tease a secret loft show that you'll need to go to their website to find out the details about. And we're so excited to be doing our first ever Snacky Tunes Live in Los Angeles with Golden Voice at El Rey Theater with Wexler's Deli and Naya. Yeah, tickets are already on sale for Tuesday, March 13th. Go to bit.do backslash Live. Ticket price includes a plate of food and a live podcast taping with us and all the aforementioned heroes on stage. So sit back, relax, and get ready to dig into a delicious heaping pint of Snacky Tunes here on heritageradionetwork.org. We talk about food. Talk about music with musical dudes. Finger on the pulse, snacky tunes.
Hello and welcome to Snacky Tunes. I'm one half your host, Darren Resnitz. We are sitting with ice cream maven, legend, entrepreneur, uh, quaffed pink hair, <laughs> Jenny Britton Bauer. Welcome to Snacky Tunes. Thanks. Good to be here. Um, you know, many kids were considered a dream to have their own ice cream store, to eat endless ice cream, to be like, sorry, mom, I have to eat this ice cream, uh, like you have now, but the in, in reading about you, the the irony is you did not really love ice cream growing up. Yeah, but the thing is, I um, <laughs> let me get in front of let it. Me just, let me just get in front of of the noise that's out there. Well, but no, I I didn't. I mean, I I eat ice cream every night. Um, it was before bed, and I grew up in the Midwest, which means we eat dessert before dinner. Sure. I mean, we eat cinnamon rolls as dinner rolls, right? I mean, I don't right. know if you know that about like Peoria, Illinois, and that sort of middle of the country. Bread basket, sweet bread a, basket. So I had this hierarchy of desserts that was very like. I mean, I knew all, I knew exactly where every single you know dessert that I knew of sat in that hierarchy, and ice cream was at the bottom. It was you know it was it was. Um, but you had a sweet tooth. Yeah, I mean, everybody I've ever met from the Midwest has a sweet tooth. Um, but it's, for me, it was what we ate to settle down. We would eat it with my grandmother's strawberry jam that she, she would grow the strawberries Mm -hmm. and make jam out of it. And we would eat, you know, some kind of fluffy vanilla ice cream. And I was a stirrer. I always stirred it. And we would eat it while we were watching Johnny Carson. I'm sorry, stir? You know, stir the ice cream and, um, as it melts, I always love it. Oh, I'm a... Now I'm I'm not though. I've completely changed. I'm a, I'm a, I hate melted ice cream. Um, yeah, now I'm the same. I don't like it either. I like, so, I like to, it to start out, yeah. You know. grew up Midwest. Um, what was it like growing up there? Did you, you know, knowing the entrepreneurship that you wrote into, uh, lemonade stand, you know, craft services, paintings, things like that, like, what did you do growing up? Was business always a part of your life? Well, it was because my one grandmother is an artist. Both sure. of my grandmothers are still alive. One of them is an artist and an art teacher, and she we would go over to Enid's house, and she would teach us how to make something. And it was always something, I mean, something out of nature or something. We'd pick weeds, like cattail weeds, long grass, um, and dry them in the sun, dye them, and make baskets out of them. Mm. Um, and then when I would, or we'd like learn how to knit a sweater, like a Barbie sweater, like a um, small sweater. And then I would go to Betty's house, and Betty would be like, I know somebody who would want to buy one of those. You sure. know, Betty was just like scrappy, you know, like... So um, Enid and Betty are the grandmas. Grandmothers. grandmothers. And then we would make you know, 10 of them and literally sell them to her friends in the neighborhood or like set up a garage sale or whatever. So we would learn all these things over at Enid's house and I loved it. But the thing about Enid as in art, and she's still the same way, she doesn't, she doesn't like money. She doesn't mm-hmm. like being paid or having that hang over anything that she does. She doesn't want to be influenced by that. And so Enid never wants to do the same thing twice. She always wants to move on to the next thing. But for me, I loved the idea of making something identical, you know? Sure. And um, so my sister and I would play a lot and we would play we'd have a business. We'd actually start a business when we were kids. And that was like the only thing that I remember ever really playing with her. She and I are um, 18 months apart, so very close. Okay. So when you say business, what do you mean? I mean, whether it was just a completely pretend restaurant business where we would spend the entire day making identical menus. So we would have 50, you know, just to make it feel like it was more real or actually doing a business. I mean, we would, we would sell things that we made. We would um, always take the, the marigolds at the end of the season and get all of the seeds out of all of the neighbor's marigolds and then package them and sell them back to the same people. You know what I mean? Gotcha. Like when they would wilt. It looks like your marigolds are gone, but so if you I'll want some them. more marigolds next <laughs> yeah. year. Um, so you stay in Ohio, you grow up, business after business, and then you wind up going to Ohio State University. Um, what was it like there? What were you studying and where were you working? Well, first of all, I, school was never for me. I, I moved... 
almost every year. So I didn't have... Within Ohio or just um, like... Between Peoria and Ohio. Peoria, okay. Illinois. But sure. we would move even within Peoria to like a different school district across town or whatever. Sometimes we would live in the country, literally like in the middle of a cornfield. And sometimes we would live downtown, like right downtown where there would be like, you know, 1930s elevators in the uh, apartment building next door. Hmm. We could ride them up and down. Um, and then we moved to Columbus in 1985 in this like booming, it still is, community. Just growth everywhere since I've been there. It's mm-hmm. just been nothing but growth. Um, very different. The whole city is brand new. I mean, then we have this great Victorian culture, but like we, it was a small and you know, everything is clean and shiny and new in Columbus. That's like the most amazing, I don't know, thing about it. What is, yeah. Um, there, we have protected our neighborhoods. There are a lot of great neighborhoods, but, um, but anyway, so I moved even within Columbus and then I lived in London, Ohio and I lived in Dayton, Ohio for a little while and back to Columbus, but even within that several school districts. So I didn't have a sort of homeschool, like, sure. you know, ever in my life or a group of friends that I sort of grew up with that knew me or whatever. So everything was always brand new for me. Uh, and I hated school. I still do. I hate it. I hate walking into it. I have kids now and, like, I don't like going to their schools either. <laughs> um, I heard that that's the, uh, the, the trick about having kids that you wind up having to do homework all over again. Yeah, but you know what? Teachers are, are way... Not teachers. Teachers have always been great, but, like, the way... They're, they're getting more and more against homework. Sure. Across the board. Love they it. understand, like, what my mother understood, which was, so I, I never once did homework between K, you know, to 12. I you never did homework? I never did my homework. Um, and my mother was very against homework. Very How against it. How did you get it. away with that? Well, I got straight C's and often yeah. D's, but I did well on tests, and that was that. So... <laughs> Can't spell ice cream without C, am I right? Yeah, right. Yes. There you know. There you go. I was a hustler. You know what I mean? Like I, I, sure. I just figured it out, and like that was the thing. And um, and so, of so, course, Ohio State was like, ah, yeah, no, thank you. No, thank you. No, you know, we like oh, we don't thank, need a solid D student. Thank here. you so much. Oh, <laughs> and like that was in the early '90s. It was, uh, you know, it's not. It wasn't, you know, whatever. So, but so they said no. I wrote them a letter. I like appealed it. I was like, yeah, I don't, you know. This is what I was doing. Don't count me out. Because in high school, I wanted to work. I worked at a bakery, a French bakery. It was amazing, and I, I loved it. I actually sure. worked at an ice cream shop for a little while. Like, I loved working and doing things. So I just was like, here's what I was doing. You know, I wasn't, I did, I wasn't just doing all of the sports. I did nothing after school but, but what I wanted to do, which was work, create things, write, draw, listen to music or whatever. And, like, I just wrote, told them what I was doing. Like, I wasn't lazy. Yeah. You know? I you want, yeah. And well, I learned a lot. I loved things like mythology. I liked taking... I could, you know, in my school, I could take mythology. I did that. Anyway, they let me in. So so that was, you know... And that was there where you started studying uh, fine arts. Yeah. And you could change... Art your, history. And art history. And you could change your work into bakery. And it was actually those loves that and you're gonna have to draw that line for me that got you to ice cream well here's the thing i was trying to you know i'm 20 years old i'm trying to figure out what i'm gonna do as a job and of course when you study art everybody's like yeah but what are you actually gonna do but you also had your background because your grandmother's of like liking business or being aware of business right so i knew that i was studying art so that one day i could have a business and i was even thinking maybe i need to go to pastry school and i couldn't afford pastry school i you know tried to figure out how to make that work like in new york or whatever and knew that that was not going to be on the table for me. So um, one of my ideas was perfuming. I've always been very connected to my sense of smell. I grew up actually in Peoria before we moved. We had 10 acres of forest land. My grandmother, Enid, the the artist, um, 
had and my grandfather at the time and he he was very into Thoreau so he had like a cabin in the woods we built an authentic mm. teepee there we had um, honeybees and maple trees we tapped every year for syrup we had 12 or 15 gardens and so I was very connected to my sense of smell from that place and sure. anyway so I thought I should be a perfumer I had a friend who was studying chemistry at Ohio State and he was doing a lot of work with things that smelled beautifully and beautiful or whatever and not not knowing how much chemistry this was going to involve, you know, so... Making perfume? Yeah. It's all chemistry. Like, it's deep, deep, deep. It's deep High-level chemistry. chemistry. But so I um, I thought, well, maybe if I can get to Grasse, France. Like, I had all these French sure. friends. That would be, like, I would find somebody or whatever. That was my plan. But in the meantime, I started collecting essential oils and essences and blending perfumes on my own. And this went on for, like, two or three years. and sure. reading everything I could about scent. Um, so it was a pretty deep hobby. So that connects with art because at the Wexner Center, which is a beautiful, it's, in a, it's our um, um, center for, for contemporary art in Columbus, they had a, a group of artists there, an exhibition. One of them had these giant vases filled with scent, and I was like, oh my god, scent is art, can be art. So there was that in my, my head. And um, anyway, one day I had the idea to, to, to use ice cream to carry scent. So as a perfumer, okay. you either use um, a fat that's solid at sure. room temperature but melts immediately on contact with your body. Not all fats are like this. Some, some fats like cocoa butter do not melt when you put it on your skin. Right. You have to really rub at it. Um, and, or you go down to Kentucky like I did and you would buy a super high proof alcohol to, to make these scents. And then, so I had this idea that maybe that I would use ice cream to do that. So and you, so you convince it. people oh, to eat it, not yeah. have people spread it on their, uh, no, no, no. their yeah. nape and their... So I bought ice cream yeah. and, I, and I put like some, uh, the first one I actually did was cayenne. I had a cayenne essential oil, which doesn't have a smell, but it has the physical property of heat on your, on your tongue. Um, and I mixed that into chocolate ice cream. So, and this is like in 1995, so right. it's a long time ago. Yeah. So I want to set because, yeah. because people are going to listen to this in, in 2018 and so much of what you're doing and what's so amazing is in the, the mid to late nineties. So, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Let's just set the stage. No social media, almost no internet, right? Mm -hmm. uh, the concept of artisanal food is non. -ex not if anything. It was only in bread. Yeah, you know, there was a there was a bit of a bread. But there thing wasn't happening. this small batch. There's no crafted. Mm -hmm. There's none of that. Not even really in beer. I mean, to to speak oh, of. Oh no. I mean, there were a couple breweries Sam Adams. in there. Sam, maybe. Yeah. So let's just set that because I want everyone to know that get in that mindset when we're talking about this. So you start putting. So you make this scented ice cream. And then does the light bulb go off? Because you're like, oh, wait, I sort of like ice cream better. The light bulb went off in such a big way. I mean, I remember it so deeply because I didn't just, I mean, I made that one. I made rose petal like in the same group in that same thing. And I had this like $400 rose oil that I had saved for months to get. Um, so it was beautiful. So immediately when I tasted it, it's like I can taste the sweet. I got the cold, which kind of was, you know, alerted me. I got the sweet. And then, like, a couple seconds later, you start to, like, smell the ice cream. And I realized in the sec that second that, like, first of all, all ice cream could be considered edible perfume. Even sure. the most inexpensive vanilla bean. In fact, especially because that's probably synthetic, which is what most perfumes are now. Um, and that butter fat, because I'd actually been studying food. I was watching... Um, Great chefs, great cities. I mean, I rushed mm. home to watch that. So I knew some about food. I loved that show. I really learned a lot. And that was back when, like, the, the Food Network was just beginning. I mean, but what they and had was not... I mean, when you think about food TV at the time, yeah, that was... It was a totally PBS was sort of really yeah. the bar, the PBS, high bar. PBS, like, that was where, you know, that... And, and even, like... Um, the Learning Channel was actually like the most boring shows <laughs> about learning something. But sure. And so you would, anyway, so I loved that. So I knew that 
butter fat was like a special fat. And I immediately realized that, um, and I knew things like, you know, if you store a butter right next to an onion, it will absorb the scent of that. Sure. So I was like, oh my God, you can use that power to make countless, endless um, experiences in ice cream. Like, you know, and we have only scratched the surface if we think that vanilla is the last the, the great, you know, <laughs> flower scent. Right. You know, in the world. And so then how does that leap go from opening up your first store, which was called Scream Ice Cream in 96? Um, well, it's funny because I was still in school, still making ice cream and taking it to parties on the weekends. And everybody who I knew knew me as like the ice cream girl. Um, so some things haven't changed. He, right. Yeah. Right. Well, now I'm the ice cream lady. Right. Yes. Ice cream lady. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's grown up. It's <laughs> grown up. Um, so I was still going to school, riding my bike down, and and one day in my f- uh, figure drawing class, um, I wasn't real happy to be there already, and a model showed up, who I couldn't draw. She was tall and and thin and beautiful, but her angles were I'm just not good at them. So I like drawing big and I like round. I loved the round models sure. that would come in, you know, and that would be really fun for me. And I like to draw on big paper. And so, like, I was really depressed. It's three hours long, the class, and I was just like, I want to go make ice cream. Like, I don't even want to be here. And it was, like, portfolio week. It was an important day to be there. And I got up, and you sit on a drawing horse, and and, and it's just, Mm. I mean, it's kind of like sitting on a horse. So you have your paper in front of you, you're sitting there, and you've got your supplies there. And I just got up and left, and left everything where it was, and (laughs) rode my bike home, because it was like, you know, whatever. Rode my bike home, made ice cream, and then never went back. That was, um, so the supplies still may be there. Supplies are, yeah. Well, and then I started my business and my, um, the professor, her name was Pia. She had blue hair and she was German and she came, she found me and she was like, do you want any of your like portfolio back or like any of your stuff? And I was like, no, nah. I, I made a complete break. Um, wow. For me. It That's was amazing, amazing that you know the moment when you made it. So yeah. you go home, you make ice cream and then how did you open this? I mean. Well, and first of all. That moment when I had ice cream, this is about six months after that first time I, I tried ice cream. Sure. Um, or even less, even just even three months maybe. Um, that moment I knew, and it, it's because I was looking I was looking into pastry and I was really studying pastry and thinking about doing that and um, I and, and art and I had been looking at the world through through the lens of opportunity because that's what entrepreneurs do and I'd done that since I was a kid and looking for this for you know something fun to do and ideas. Um, and then scent and knowing those things. I knew that when I did that, that, that ice cream could be so much better than it was. And so I knew, like in that moment, it was like the sky opened up. It was like this light bulb, but it was like, I knew my entire life was gonna be different. I knew this is what my path was gonna be and I just had to figure out how to get there. So that moment, which is extended in my mind now, but it was a really huge moment. And I never looked back from that second. It was just trying to figure out how am I gonna, you know, what are we gonna do? How are we gonna do this or whatever? All right, well, we're gonna take a quick musical break. We're gonna talk about how you actually did it, the growth over 10, 15, 20 years, all the amazing stuff you're doing, and all the amazing flavors that you make. Uh, we have a song from the archives here on Snacking Tunes on heritageradionetwork.org. Margarita, salt the rim, kick your shoes off and let me in. In the morning, when we're done, text your friends and maybe we can have some fun. I can scoop them in the minivan. As long as 
Cause I'm not working One, two, three, four Can hell yeah Five, six, seven, eight Nine times on the way One, two, three, four Snacky Tunes, where you're here with Jenny Britton Bauer of Jenny's Funded Ice Cream. So the year is 1996. You have the entrepreneur inspiration from your grandparents. You have your love of design. You have your love of aroma and flavors through perfumery. You've made a mental break from your career as a painter. And now you're at home making ice cream. How do you take all of that and open up your first ice cream shop? Uh, well, we, I'm, I'm very lucky. I live in a community that has an indoor public market and if it hadn't, and and this is a really, really important thing for me and for my story because I don't think that I could have done it without that. So we're the market is a place where you can get, you know, a hundred square feet of space that's already plumbed with, you know, sinks for dishwashing, ready for food production. Um, you know, you put in a counter, you put in an ice cream machine or whatever, you know, an oven or whatever it is that you're doing and you're in business and you've got a million or two million people who are going to walk through that market every single year. Mm-hmm. Um, and the rent is very low. I mean, compared to like that kind of foot traffic anywhere else in the country. And so I started 
hanging around the market. I mean, I was always hanging around the market anyway, but I really started to get to know people in the market and the, the management. And it took a long time to convince them that we sh that they should let me in. Uh, and I had a friend who I was doing the business with. And so we were just like, we wrote this business plan, which was, you know, probably nothing of what it ought to be or whatever, you know, I don't even remember. I went to Henry Bendel, which is funny, because I had no money back then. My family yeah. didn't have money. I was working like, I had zero dollars. But somehow, the only person, I don't know why, I felt like I needed a suit. I needed a suit. And this is like, you know, just as like young like a business Jenny, suit. I just, you know, I didn't want people to see me as like this kid. I wanted them right. to see me as like, I was serious. I wanted this business. I was ready to go or whatever, even, you know, even though, whatever, that's, that's another story. But, um, so I got a suit and they were the only ones that could actually get it to fit me like by the next day or Henry. whatever it was. And so I went to Henry Bendel and bought a suit, which okay. is so funny. I still have it. Yeah, of course. I still have it because it was like such a does it hold artifact. Up? Does it hold? Does it, like if you wore it out tonight on yeah. Saturday night in LA, I would have. Actually, yeah. I mean, I sometimes wear the jacket. It's actually, it's actually very cool. It's black suit and it's great. I so mean, you got the this... pants don't fit anymore, but whatever. <laughs> um, so, but so the thing is, was convincing the people who were in charge of the market to give us a space, and they yeah. were like, they were really trying to build a grocery experience in the market. The market had just reopened. Um, in a new building because um, it needed it and it was you know 200 years old 150 years old or whatever and um, so it just reopened and it was it was very fresh and new whatever they were trying to build a grocery experience for people it was before Whole Foods was at all anywhere or you know any of the natural groceries at the time and so they were not keen on an ice cream company at all especially right. one from you know young you know girls or whatever that they saw us as and I think I had pink hair back then so that made it even worse. Um, so my grandfather in St. Petersburg, Florida, I had, there was a show on PBS called The Ice Cream Show, and it's hmm. a fantastic show. They did a bunch of different shows. There was a sandwich one or whatever. They go across the United States and buy an ice cream. And in that show, there was a company called Bassett's, or there's still, I mean, there is a company called Bassett's yep. in the Reading Terminal Market in Philadelphia, an incredible company. Shout out. They were the ones that, that were, first put vanilla bean specs in vanilla Ooh. ice cream. It was amazing. So my grandfather, I asked, him, I asked him to record it. I didn't have a VCR. <laughs> so I asked him to record this show when it was on Next um, on a VCR tape and send it to me, which he did. And I gave that to the people at the market. And that convinced them. That you, if Reading Terminal Market could have an Yeah, place. that we could build um, an ice cream company at the market that the market would be proud to have. And so they gave you the spot. And what was it like opening? And let's talk about the flavors. Because... Yeah. Knowing what your flavors are now, which are gorgeous and layered and, and unique and innovative, was that li like that way from the beginning? Um, yeah, I mean, it was, um, it, but he, so I saw myself, I was still in the art world in, in my mentally, like I sure. was still thinking of myself as, as like this wannabe artist. And that was a, um, you know, a problem because I would make new flavors every day. So we opened and I would be inspired by what was going on in the market. And then also I was still working with essential oils, really beautiful essential oils to sort of, so, uh, and or some, and often plant, you know, herbs, you know, like plant matter, like actual, like, so peppermint, fresh peppermint um, has a different, it's different when you steep it in cream versus a peppermint oil where you get this really pure pepperminciness or whatever. And so playing around with all of that stuff, I was learning a lot. I thought I knew a lot about flavor, which, you know, whatever, but I really didn't know anything about um, the molecular structure of ice cream and how to bring flavor forward at all. 
And so I was just having, I was struggling with that. So I'd want to use honey, a really beautiful honey, but like it would make the ice cream not scoop. Sure. I mean, I just didn't know anything sure. about it. You knew what the flavors you wanted, but you didn't know about the science. I didn't know anything about it at all. At yeah. All. And so it was complicated. And I realized that, but anyway. But so the, the other thing is just making flavors that I wanted to every day. I wasn't able to build like a customer base or, you know, the people yeah, what like, were Yeah, what were those early days like? I mean, because, you know, you were making something that was sort of artisanal, but people were probably going used to, you know, mint chocolate chip was probably as crazy as it got on a Friday night. Yeah. Um, what were those early days like, like building a customer base? How did people respond? Um, uh, people loved to come by and taste. It was really hard. I mean, we were having like $9 days. I mean, there were, it was just like, you know, um, it, you know, it was funny. I mean, I, I feel like my whole Scream days, for me, looking back, were more about all of the things. It was just about all the things I was learning. I was learning how people responded to ice creams. I was learning things like, you know, I mean, I, I made salty caramel back then. And, um, and it was inspired by a French chef who I'd worked with who told me that the, the caramel where he's from is salty. And I think what he really meant to say, what I would think of as salted. In America, <laughs> all caramel is salted, or at least back then it was all. Yeah. Did not differentiate between like a burnt sugar sauce and just burnt sugar and water. Sure. Versus like a, um, a cream caramel with... Salt, salt and vanilla. That's like what all Americans right. But you is. heard salty, so you were. So I was like, oh, it's like Scandinavian licorice over there. So for me, what it was here's what I would do. I mean, I I didn't have the money to travel. I hadn't done any travel, virtually any. I mean, I spent some time in Puerto Rico, and and that was it. Um, so I would go to the library and like read about things, and then I would make ice creams inspired by that too. And so I would be at the library reading about Tokyo, and I would come back and re and make some kind of flavor that, or go to the Tokyo, you know, the, the Japanese grocery store and like make right. flavor that was inspired by. Salted actually plum. not Tokyo, right. but what was available in the library sure. in Columbus, Ohio, that told me about Tokyo, which was actually a sort of interesting perspective too. And whatever, but the but the but the bigger thing is that I never had flavors that you could rely on. So if you fell in love with salty caramel, as everyone did, and you brought ten friends back the next day, like I wouldn't have it, you know. And so it was right. just like, so oh, you well, I'm not here for the lavender. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, especially because the flavors are so unique and different that there wasn't like. Oh, I'll just push you over here. I'll just have vanilla. No, I didn't even have vanilla for like 10, until like, you know, many years later. And so you're learning all this stuff from Scream. And what made you want to rebrand into uh, Jenny's Fun Ice Cream? How did you, like, what were you learning? Did you feel like you needed a new break? Or were things starting to pick up? And you're like, okay, I'm going to throw my name in this. I'm going to make a whole rebrand because I've sort of figured it out. Um, you know, I... My business partner at the time wasn't interested in the business at all. I spent every single day there making ice cream. I was there 10 or 12 hours a day. I had one day off. Um, I really burned out, honestly. Yeah. Like I burned out in a huge way, and I knew that if I was going to do this for my life, something big had to change. So I um, told the market that we were leaving. I didn't renew our lease, and then told her that I had told him that. And um, you know, she said, and she was the money person. Um, which wasn't much. It was like thirty thousand sure. dollars for this whole business, you know. And um, and she was like, um, "Well, I'm still gonna do it, and you know, we're gonna we're gonna like be the next Ben and Jerry's or whatever." And I was like, "Okay, I gotta it? go. Like, I gotta yeah. go do something else." So um, so I left that, and then like, I don't know. Maybe within a few months, it was like I couldn't go anywhere in Columbus without people telling me like, "When are you gonna be back into business? Like, I need right. You know, like the market was getting a ton of calls. And they hadn't been really happy with how we were doing things anyway, like, so they were sort of like, yeah, you know, whatever, and, um, and it was probably about six months later that I, that I just really was like, okay, I can't stop thinking about ice cream, it's become a part of who I am, like, 
it's what else am I going to do? I mean, maybe I will go be a perfumer, but like, I just started really thinking like, I think I know I got to get back into it. And then I started writing a, a real business plan and I was like, but if I do it, I have to do it differently. I have to be complete. Like I have, I have to own everything. Like I have to like be able to use, you know, to just do it my way a hundred percent. And, um, so I started writing a business plan and again, just my family has no money. I have no way to get money. You know, I don't think I'm going to get a loan from the bank because yeah. I made, in, at Scream I made $638 a month. That was what I took home to live off of wow. for four years. And luckily they fed me in the market and all that. And I yeah. thought it was a great adventure. I lived out of my car for three months and like mm. couch surfed. Like, um, I, I loved it. I had a great but adventure. Like, but you're like, if, like, if, I'm, if, I'm, if I'm going to do, do this, yeah. I need a home, a shower. Yes. Maybe at least seven hundred, around seven hundred a month. I need to be able to, yeah, you know, I didn't yeah, need yeah. much, but I like needed to know that there was a future and that it wasn't just going to trickle along. So that was when I started writing a new business plan. And you know, back in nineteen ninety, well, now we're in two thousand. Yeah. Um. You know, whatever everything, everything was just very different. Like you know, you still had to go to like the library to find like yeah, a you lot couldn't of go on the internet. You couldn't like, be like uh, quite business the same. business plan ice cream. <laughs> Well, yeah. Well, you know, I did actually like use the um, SBA. They had a great web. I mean, at the time, a great website. But you know, I've heard yeah. nothing but amazing things before, like yeah. pre-internet, that they were really the people. Yeah, and you, um, could, you could go online to the SBA and get a download of their. I'll, I'll say this: another famous ice cream shop, Ben and Jerry's, actually yeah. talks about using all that, and that's how they got their start as well. That's funny, but I mean, I, I think there's a lot of businesses. Yeah, because they were fantastic, and their business planning. Um, outline is what I used and it was great and I just got it off their website even in like you know 2000 so you have the business plan and you relaunch as Jenny's Fonda ice cream was it immediately different from the beginning like did you go in knowing that you had to be consistent with flavors you sort of had these flavor profiles like knowing that people could come back and get the same experience day in day out yeah it was um, it, it was altogether different and I also like at scream I, I wore you know wacky outfits thrifted stuff and I had pink hair and um, at, at Jenny's, I wore a starch white shirt every day and, and an apron. I mean, I got up and starched my, my shirt and like went, I, I like to think like I put on a character and mm. I, I called it like the shopkeeper. I mean, I would like look at these old fashioned shopkeepers in America, like on the main street, you know, with their broom and whatever. And I like put that character on when I went to my business every day. Um, uh, I, I knew that I had to have consistent flavors mm -hmm. so I I created a list of like what I called the signature flavors the ones that I knew that at scream everyone loved but that I just didn't have all the time um, and and the thing is like between scream and Jenny's after I closed scream was when I realized some of the mistakes that I was making I mean I was like at a coffee shop on a Saturday and I wanted the scone so badly that they had and I it was like gonna be my entire day at a Vogue magazine and a you know five dollar bill or whatever and I walked in and I waited in line I got up and they were out of the scone and that was for me like the moment when I really also remember this moment perfectly. Like I walked through the door and I was like, what? Like, how can they not care that like I cared so much to come here? Mm. How do they not give a shit about that moment? And then they you didn't went, care. And then you went, oh wait, maybe and I. And I said, shit. shit. I mean, literally, I was like, it was like a ton of bricks. I did that to every single customer that came by Scream. And now I know. And that moment was like, okay, that was really what jump started. Right, because really, if like, you I knew how to solve that problem. Bad day. And all you want is that, yeah. like, salt caramel or lavender, whatever, crisp. These, these, like, yeah, and then important. you go there and you're like, oh, you don't have it? You go, well, thanks. Thanks yeah. for nothing. And then on top of it, it's like, yeah, because I'm an ice cream artiste and I do things. I mean, it's like, mm. well, fuck you. You know, whatever. Like, really? I mean, but back, back then in that time, I mean, was the idea and you being like an artist in the earth where you're like, I'm an artist, I can't do this? Or, and, sort but, of. But by the time you got to Jenny's, you were like, 
maybe this is also the bit like yes I'm an artist but there's also the business I was um yeah I mean it's scream it's not that I didn't care I thought that's what people wanted like I thought that would be like really cool like oh, you they know, don't have it they don't have yeah, they yeah. don't have, they don't have what I came here for like so I can just change my idea so no um but so yeah so at Jenny's I and, and, and by the way, too, like, I love service so much. So I come from a service perspective. Even at Scream with that sort of annoying artist thing that I did, I still thought, for whatever reason, that it was, like, a nice thing. Like, um, so, I don't, you know, so I got service in a different way that moment when I thought of that. And also, of course, business and entrepreneurship. And I was like, oh, my God, I can't believe that it didn't occur to me. You know, that that's not, that's not why I go anywhere. And no. if I do nothing but what I expect from businesses, that's all I have to do, right? And when have I ever thought, oh, I'm going to go and see what this person's doing today? Yeah. Like, no, it's like, no, you want to go somewhere because you know what you're going to get. So at what point, once you open Jenny's, you have the flavors down, you have the new business approach, did you realize that this was going to work, this was going to be something special? Um, so I, the day we opened was, was, um, a special day in Columbus too, because it's a, the Michigan game Saturday, which no one's out in Columbus on the streets or it seems like that because Ohio state Buckeyes play Michigan and it's like their rival and whatever. And like everyone's glued to the TV and their guacamole and it's awesome. And like whatever party they're at. So we were like, it's actually a great day to open because we'll be able to like take a soft sort of opening. Uh, but actually we were slammed mm. the whole day and it was like word traveled I don't know. I don't understand it, but we yeah. So slammed. how did word travel? Because again, let's, <laughs> paint, like, let's paint the scenes. Early two thousands, light internet, mm -hmm. uh, no, no social media. Like you know, you had taken time off, but were people just? So back then, you would. I mean, I I would like um, hand out when I when I so back in. 20, well, I, I won't go into that story, this whole thing, but I would literally hand out cards. Like, mm. I would design cards, and I would stand in the market and hand out cards. Um, so when I knew, like, I had an ice cream party in 2001, to, just to say, I'm getting back in, and I just stood in the market and gave out cards. And the same thing happened when we were going to open Jenny's. We knew it a couple days before, and I would stand in the market and hand out cards. Like, we're going to be here. Um, you know, I even I sometimes would put up, I would design or draw some, like, poster, go to Kinko's and print it out, and then color it with markers, and then then posted on the street, you know, posts or whatever. So, um, so people knew, and uh, and I was floored at the response that we ended up getting. And it was just that, like, you know, I mean, tell people you're going to be here, and you'll be there. Now, you know, I just want to bring this up to the present because we could spend another yeah. hour about. We got like 20 more years still. I mean, the growth, the businesses, the James Beard Award for the cookbook. Um, you know, the fact that you have redefined what it means to be a small business, to be an entrepreneur. And so I want to ask sort of about that last part, what it means to be an icon and a role model for other people starting their businesses um, and what advice you would give them and sort of like what is the one or two things that stand in your mind in this whole journey from when you built the business, from when you opened the first store to where you are now? So I think of... Um I think of the entrepreneur founder role as a very clear and specific role to me. And I haven't really studied business very much other than what I've done, going from art to science to business and understanding what I know about our business. But, um, but, but I think of the, um, that founder role to be the one who like knows what we're doing, right? So my, my job has been to learn everything there is to learn about ice cream, to create a vision of what's possible in ice cream, which turns out like it's an amazing, what they're doing in ice cream right now is nothing about, you know, compared to what could be done, right? I mean, 
you can use milk protein, which is what we're doing, to make to build body and texture in ice creams. More like a cheesemaker is making cheese. Mm. There's a lot we can do in ice cream to bring out flavor, but but it's all about actually body and texture of the ice creams, and that's this whole science project that's amazing. Um, and it's so complex, and it's and it involves moving milk. I mean, like I just like why didn't I go into coffee where I could just like buy coffee beans and have dry coffee beans? Buy shipped. coffee, I'm, roast them, grind them, add water. Them. I'm done. Yeah. But now... But milk, you know, first you have to get all of uh, the the good farms into one 10,000-gallon tanker truck. You have to fill that up with the good milk. Well, nobody wants you to do that, right? Because then they have to sell some of the good milk and with the, the bad milk, right? You can't use up. It's so... You can't use up all of that milk. So you're the like... Dairies the dairies are not going to work with you. You've also gotten in the commodities business as well. It's... It, I'm just saying... You know, dairy is just like the... I don't know. It's the final frontier on the farm, the good food movement or whatever. I don't know how we're going to... Anyway, it's complex. So the founder role... Yeah. ...is all about knowing everything there is to know about that and the details of ice cream for me but for somebody else it's something else um, and then there's business that takes place all around there but there's also so many other things too so surrounding yourself with people who are like amazing and know their stuff or whatever is the thing so then that's my sort of that's what I that for me feels like what I'm leading if I'm leading anything is to like help people understand how important it is that they know everything that they don't you know try to spend too much time working on their the businessy kind of stuff because you bring in people who know about that stuff so you go really deep into what it is that you're here to do and then also understand people and how that works and I think that takes that sort of street level entrepreneurship which you can thank your grandmas for yeah but like I also spent 10 years making ice cream and serving ice cream right before I ever went anywhere else and like that knowledge that I have from doing that and how people react to flavor is what I base everything on it's also like what I've learned about seasonality and all that stuff from the market people don't you know are unwilling to put that time in now, I think, sometimes, and they, they want... Some, I think so, you know? too, because um, if you look at your journey and the way that you look at it is like, yeah, you were there on the front lines building the business by literally scooping it and washing floors and things like that, but then it switches to, at some point, being more of, like, the entrepreneur, more of, like, the, the big-eye picture. But you don't seem to understand how to really be successfully if you don't put your time in at the counter or on the front lines. And the whole time I thought, you know, this, we can be, we are going to set the standard of American ice cream. Like I never once thought we were going to be a small mom and pop ice cream shop my whole life, but there was just so much to learn. And because we're doing something so different than everybody else, it wasn't like, we really are, you know, cutting our own path out of this jungle. And, um, and that is a tough thing to do, but, um, you know, it took longer than I expected it to. It took more money than I expected it to. But, like, that was the only way it could have gone. There were no shortcuts in the way, you know, there's no shortcuts. And I, I think that's true about a lot of things. And I think that a lot of people don't understand that these days. I, I think, think they see the yeah, success so too. now that they have Instagram, now that they have social media. They see the success, but they don't understand that you started your business in the mid-90s. Yeah. And now you are sort of, I mean, you have been for a while, obviously, but the benefits are really rolling in and, you know, with all the awards and the accolades and things like that. But that's because you have 20 years. It's not the, hey, let's make hamburgers uh, that look like rabbits <laughs> and uh, then, yeah. you know, and then let's put them up on Instagram and then hopefully we'll have success. Well, and I'll tell you, I don't think I see all of that, that stuff, you know, like um, super over garnished stuff or whatever. And I'm just going the opposite direction. Yeah. Like, I'm just... You know, I do think that quality still matters. I think it still shines through. I think when you think about doing something for the long road, 
you know, and being around for a long time, it can't be about whatever, you know, label you can put on it or whatever you do for Instagram or whatever. Like you have to put your name on it and like really mean something. And if it's just visual, you'll get a big, big blast in the beginning and then it will just teeter out. I mean, it always does. I've seen it now, you know, enough to know that that's just not something you can build a business on, but it's, but people see that. They see Young that. people see that. They think that's what the, you do now. And so, you know, I'm, I, I just, I still don't think that that's, that's a great way to get into business, but. I neither do I. Now, before we run out of time, I have to ask because really why I've, I mean, I've always liked your ice cream, but why I've grown to love your ice cream is because my wife loves your ice cream mm -hmm. and she's always bringing it home and things like that. And the one thing that I wanted to ask for her was the flavors, because the flavors, when you go to the page and you see the new flavors and you see the combinations, they're always so exciting. So obviously when you started developing your flavors back in the 90s and even in the 2000s, that was one thing. But now I feel like that there's so many artisanal people out there who are doing crazy flavors or even not crazy flavors, but it's like we got this vanilla bean, they only grow 10 pounds of it a year and so, you know, things like that. It can get very competitive. How do you come up with your flavors now? What is the testing process and how do you go like, this is a winner? Um, we're in the kitchen all the time. And that's just, we're just constantly making making new things. But I mean, I ask myself a lot, does, like, is this flavor, does the world really need this flavor? And I have this thing that I say that's, um, you know, just because it's surprisingly not bad doesn't mean it's good. There, you can do any, you can put anything in ice cream and it is surprisingly not bad. Yeah. Right? I mean, you've seen it, turkey gravy or Fritos or whatever. You can put anything into an ice cream base and it will be surprisingly not bad. But... Is it good? You know, French fries and Frosty, when you're a kid, you're like, that's awesome. Yeah. And it's really not awesome. It's just you, you've been surprised that it wasn't terrible. Yeah. You know? And so then it becomes a thing. So for me, it's really always about, is this really a, 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 a special flavor? Is this something that the world needs? Is this something that we're happy and proud to put in the world? Is this something that I would want to order? And so we're always, you know, always inspired by things and the ingredients and so on and just getting in the test kitchen and making it. And then... And then, like, if I'm craving it, like, you know, if I'm start, if I'm like, I can't take my mind off of it, like, Lang Lang is one of my favorite flavors. Mm -hmm. It's a flower from Indonesia, and I think it could compete with vanilla. Um, and I literally, I think about this when I'm going to sleep. <laughs> I was thinking about this last night. I'm going to sleep, and I have a moment. I have a special, specific moment on an ice cream cone that I love the most. It's like midway through the cone, oh, yeah. it. And like, I was thinking about that flavor as I was falling asleep last night. You're like, if we got, you know? if you get someone in there. And I'm like, if I can do that, then that flavor is really important. Awesome. Well, Jenny, thank you so much. Where can people find the ice creams? How can they get them? Well, we have um, shops in eight wonderful cities across the United States, including right here in LA. Thank um, you. But also jennys.com. We ship it all over the country, wherever you're at. And awesome. We'll be there. And where can people find you on Instagram, social media, things like well, that? Well, Jenny Britton Bauer. Um, I have mine and then Jenny's ice creams with an S is our, is our other one. And there you go. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. We have another song from the archives and then a live performance here on Snacky Tunes on HeritageRadioNetwork.org.
and all about her now Don't ask me why lines are on my hands Sometimes the world's real hard to understand It's Super awesome. Thank you, Heritage. Welcome back to Snacky Tunes. We have Big Bliss in house. Hey. Hey, man. Hey. You want to go around the room and introduce yourselves? Sure. Uh, we'll start with me. I'm Corey Rice, and I play drums in a band called Big Bliss. <laughs> I'm Wallace. I play bass in a band called Big Bliss. I'm Tim, and... I'm somewhere involved in, in Big Bliss, guitar, vocals. And just in case you missed it, Big Bliss is in, is in studio. We are all Big Bliss We're together. All, aren't, we, aren't, we Big all, Bliss. aren't we all Big Bliss? Everybody's Big Everybody's Bliss together. Bliss. That's, kind of, that's kind of what we're going for. Man. Yeah. We want everybody to be involved, you know? Um, That'd be great. Because people can't see the two of you. They might not realize that you're brothers. Yeah. Yes. This is your first project together, but you played in other bands before. Yes, many. 
many bands, but never before, uh, like, two, three years ago. I think it's when we started playing together. Yeah, not even, yeah, and we just were, like, writing songs for a minute, and he just kind of, like, talked me into it, like, kind of coaxed me into, um, like, writing songs together, because I was... I, I had been playing. I had been playing in bands for a while, and then stopped for a couple of years. Like when I moved to New York, and Corey played in a bunch of bands. But yeah, I think you know between the two of us, we've been playing, like uh, you know, like twenty five years or so together. Yeah. Or like like you know, in separate bands, and never never did it together. So mm-hmm. yeah, this is the first one. And what was it that you couldn't find in other projects that you had to bring your brother in? Um, oh, that that's a. Unanswerable one, <laughs> really. But but uh, I'll do my best. Um, well, I I feel that I I could be more involved in the process, um, even though I suppose I was in other bands. But just since we were related, you know, it was felt like I wasn't just the drummer. Like I was actually a co-songwriter in this project. I mean, other projects. I ran before, you know, that was supposed to be the deal, but that didn't end up being the case, you know. So just if you're in a band with a family member, you know, it's either like insane competition or or you cooperate (laughs) really well. And for the most part, as far as music related stuff goes, I think we do cooperate pretty well. I mean, uh, sorry, just to add to that, I think it's important that uh, I don't know, Corey and I. I, I kind of grew up listening to like better music than I normally would because of Corey kind of putting it on, you know, while I was playing like Nintendo 64 or whatever, you know. Um, that though. No, no, it was great. I mean, GoldenEye <laughs> rules. Um, but uh, yeah, uh, but we have we have a lot of like similar influences. So like you know when we like said we wanted to like kind of take cues from like you know late 70s, early 80s post punk, you know punk and stuff, and uh, take it in that direction. It just kind of clicked, you know. So. Yeah, it's interesting. Most bands are all pulling from different reference points because they mm-hmm. just grew up with different things. So yeah. how, how would you feel that... Is there any disparity between what you listen to and versus what you listen to, or was it you were just kind of listening to the same thing and that actually gives you a much more focus and you're not kind of softening it because you have the same I, reference I, point? I think it was close enough. I mean, obviously, we don't have exactly the same music taste, but um, we were pretty much coming from such a similar place that you know it it was pretty focused on on what we wanted you know i mean we wrote a ton of songs like right away but two out of the maybe 10 we wrote we wrote we still play you know and ended up being keepers so there wasn't a lot of that bands i've been in before i feel it's a lot of like translating for the other members like like what you want to do and you have to give them a playlist and stuff there's nothing wrong with that but with us it was just it was just kind of just straight you know Wallace, you're you're nodding. Did you get Wallace had to get a playlist. I got a playlist. What what was on the playlist? And how did you Um, get involved with the brothers? So I played in a band prior to this that was like Americana. And Tim happened to be at one of our shows. And we just got to chatting. And he was like, oh, I play with my brother, but we need a bass player. And I was like, oh, well. Because in this past band, I played guitar. And I was like, oh, I also play bass. Um... And he was like, oh, well, do you want to play with us? Like, this is the kind of music we play. And then I was like, well, I'm not as familiar. And he was like, okay, here's a list of everything. Who was who was on? Just like a, a, a um, few. It was out. like Joy Division, New Order. Um, maybe The Cure was on there. Yeah, yeah, I can't sure. really remember. Oh, and then a lot sure. of like, actually, I feel like a lot of like more local bands, like you put... Um, Probably put Pill on there. Yeah. Probably Former Snacky Tune guests. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Great yeah, band. They're great. Um, so yeah, he was like, just listen to Maybe this and punk. start playing with a pick. 
Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, but the the, it, the funny part about that was that, um, well, I I met her at a show, but then I recorded her band's, uh, her previous band's EP, and just, it was like, while we were talking in the studio or something, like, you brought up that you'd played bass in high school, and, and oh, like, yeah, and like you know, like, her previous band, Young Tides, was this, this like, great, uh, like, Americana quartet thing, like, beautiful songwriting and stuff, and I was really stoked on it, but for some reason, I was just like, I think you'll, like, make sense in this, like, post-punk band we're trying to do, you know, like, I, no, or just, like, louder rock band, and, and I've never heard you play bass, and I don't know, something, but we, like, talked her into it, and we were like, yeah, don't worry, we're gonna play, like, you know, one show a month, maybe at the most, you know, it's just gonna be like a casual recording project. It was like, we'll practice like once every two weeks. (laughs) Which has changed severely since, since then, but we tricked her into it somehow. I don't know. When family works, you almost don't even need to have communication. You just kind of look at each other. You're just kind of coming from the same place. Um, how do you bring in a third member? Have you picked up on the, the language as well. Like playing with the two of them. Right. Just, I mean, you essentially, like when you, you know, you're raised by the same parents, um, you kind of come from a similar work ethic. It, a lot of the rules or the translations you talked about doesn't need to be translated. So are right. you done being translated to? Or? Yes. <laughs> For, I mean, I think so. I mean, there's some cases I think I do, but like I grew up with two older brothers, so I'm used to being around stinky boys <laughs> and no offense. Um, so it was really easy for me to like settle in like comfortably, I think. Can we hear a song? Yes. Yes. Yeah, this one is uh this one's called Surface and uh it is going to be on our upcoming LP that we are currently working on. Cool. Well, here we go live on Snacky Tunes. <laughs> Educated, chin 
you mentioned that it was just going to be a really kind of easy project, you know, practice once every couple of weeks, but you were named one of the hardest working bands in yeah. New York City. And I think it's like yeah. 150 shows, five tours in the last couple of years. Yeah, last like it like from when we started playing, it's yeah, it's just like a little over two years. Well, no, it's about a year and a half from that count, you know, but mm-hmm. but we're also just kind of ballparking. We think there's probably more. It's like, you know. Yeah. We've um, we've had yeah. a f- we've had a few of the hardest working bands on here, and it, and sure. the designation is like it has to be a proper venue, so like house shows or pop up things don't totally count. So it's uh, only the, official. Well, the, yeah. Oh, the, you mean the designation like on that website? Yeah. Or, yeah. Yeah. Totally. So I mean, there's like tons of you know, I, I, it, it was like forty something on the website, and the, there's like you know a bunch that we played in New York that weren't there, and it's also like they don't they don't cover like the tour shows and stuff, and like so many of our friends that were on that thing, or so many of our friends in New York are touring so hard and just playing so much, and the thing about every show, at least for us, is that there's like there's a practice before the show, you know? So that's like, it's, it's kind of like a two night involvement, you know? Um, and there's also like writing practices and stuff in between that. So we see each other a lot and I'm glad, glad we get along and like each other. (laughs) What, what do you think kicked it from, you know, practice once every couple of weeks and like easy to playing all these shows and, and going out so much? I think, um, we intentionally, try to play as much as possible just to be added to more shows if you don't have any like leads to the venues you play enough of the venues to hear about you eventually and invite you there you know um i i think realizing once we realized that that's what pretty much what we had to do you know and it, we wanted to do it too you know it's just we wanted to play as much as possible it was a casual thing but i was in i was in two bands when we started and that band broke up so i had more time um, and it was just that there, there were venues we wanted to play at that probably weren't going to have us yet because we were brand new. So we played as many shows as possible to be able to play those venues. You what, know? what were the venues? Well, um, it was the first place we, we played. Grand Victory was the first place yeah. we played. And, and then we played Cake Shop a, a whole bunch. Oh, Cake Shop, R.I.P. R.I.P. Yeah. I just yeah. I was actually just at the new reiteration. Oh, how is it? It's just weird. It's like yeah. upscale-ish kind of. It's I not. S- it's not a venue though, right? No. Well, or is it? I saw the like violin player playing wrong with the DJ, and I was watching it. And I go, huh. Am I being judgy or is this bad? And right. I was like, Oh, I'm being judgy, and this is also bad. Oh yeah, yeah. I got it. But like. I mean, I've been going there. I mean, I saw like Test Icicles play there like forever. Yeah, ago. yeah. And yeah. just like it's, uh, you couldn't recapture how rad it was down there for whatever. You know, they're selling like fourteen dollars yeah. Jamesons, and so no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. no, totally. Well, I li- li- listen, I totally trust Andy, who was behind Cake Shop, and I think like yeah. you know, if he's behind this thing, it'll yeah. be it'll be super cool. He was like, he, I think our second show was at Cake Shop, ever. I, I think it was our second yeah, show, definitely. right? And and it was like it was really it was it was a nice experience, and and our first couple shows. We just, we, a lot of people responded really, really nicely and kind of surprised us. Like we were just kind of casually doing these shows. And, and I, I think we've, I think we've just kind of come to this, uh, this sort of realization that, you know, you're a band, you play shows, you know, that's, you get better when you do it. You know, you, you are, you're better as a band, you're tighter as, as people and as friends. And I think it's just like, you know, if that's what you set out to do, then you should go play shows. You should go play live. It'll, it'll only like help improve the thing there's so much uh there's so much pressure put on bands that's like you know to like to focus on your you know i hate this word focus on your draw or whatever and like don't oversaturate and don't you know don't play too often Mm -hmm. like you know like make sure you're bringing out you know all your friends and like your cousin still wants to come to every show or whatever (laughs) you know and like 
I don't know, man. I, I don't totally buy it. I think, like, you know, especially in a huge city like New York where there's so many good bands and, like, you know, you meet so many people. We've made so many good friends at these shows that it just feels like the thing we should be doing. So if we can play it and, like, it's with bands that we like, like, we'll, we'll fucking do it, you know? I That's, mean, I, re- I remember going growing up uh, right outside Philadelphia and the bands that I was friends with, they played every weekend. Like, no one had a problem. Right. I guess it was also a different time. Like, that's right. how you got the word out. I, I also think I agree with you that it's, it's so crowded. Or you'll find bands whose image are super polished, but then you see them play live and they can't play live. Right, yeah. right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally, man. Totally. I, I, and it's... Uh I mean, I mean, it's just, like, a rewarding experience. It's a nice opportunity for, like, positive or negative feedback or whatever it is, you know? Um, and uh, and I don't know. I mean, like, you know, you got to be able to play in a basement, in a bedroom, at, at a big-ass stage somewhere, you know? Like, you just got to be, like, able to do all that stuff. So I think, like, you know, the more we play, the better we get at that. Mm-hmm. And we bought a van, so we want to use our van. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Can we hear another song? Sure. Uh, yeah, this one is currently untitled, also on our uh, upcoming LP. Thank you. 
you put out an EP in 2016. How did, and you mentioned that you had written like kind of like 10 songs and two of those songs are still playing. What of those kind of early writing sessions ended up on the EP? Um, which songs in particular? Yeah. Um, High Ideal and Ponzi are um, the two songs that ended up on that EP. Second mm. track and the last track. And how was the writing process with your brother and, and Wallace different than kind of your previous band experiences? Um, I... It's it's hard. That's hard to describe. I, I felt we had more of an idea in the writing process. We have um, more of an idea in the beginning of what we wanted before we even had a lot of experience, you know, or, or a catalog, or, you know, songs with each other. Um, what it does have in common is the, all those bands were around for a bit, you know, and we got comfortable with each other and, and everything was kind of streamlined. And I, I feel like we're already at that at that process you know it changed a little bit when wallace was actually included in the writing because it was tim and i probably wrote like 10 throwaway songs we kept like two you know we didn't think they were throwaway at the time we tried really hard no one one ever does no 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 you don't know they're throwaway until later you gotta gotta be honest with yourself yeah yeah Yeah. this is good yeah like i don't think we wrote any more songs for like five more years yeah Yeah, we we just crushed it yeah man i mean we write a lot of stuff like for our, our record i think we had like it was like 20 plus songs to that we were like kind of trying to whittle down and it's a full length and we're redoing we're redoing uh one song from the ep high ideal and and uh and there's another like kind of like early one that we're putting on there um but there's like a lot of writing involved and i think us writing together kind of speeds it up you know um Mm -hmm. we know what we want you know um Usually it's like a bass riff that Wallace will bring in some bass riff and we're like, oh yeah, cool, let's, let's build on that. And sometimes it's really bad, man, you know, but hopefully hopefully we're like choosing the best ones, you know? And, and Wallace, have you been able to bring in any of your influences, your own playlist? Um, if you saw my playlist, um, <laughs> <laughs> um, no, not really. I mean, I like to think that like the stuff I'm bringing in and playing is somehow like reflecting off the stuff I do listen to that would make no sense like what's like one example like Sade is like my fucking favorite ever my bass is named Sade of course love her I love her (laughs) but obviously that makes no sense at all when I tell people that they're like what but that's Um, but that's the balance right that's like the other approach when you don't you are not raised with the same influences you're like oh and Sade is an influence of this band (laughs) but it takes it it takes it to it takes it to another perspective because you're not you're reinterpreting and making it new you're not just copying exactly totally right right I mean I I should also say that that the most played music in the tour van is Toto for sure for sure like all three of us get down like Toto like even the deep cut b-sides Mostly, mostly just mostly the hits. the hits. Mostly the hits, but you know. But what a list of hits! What yeah, a list but of great hits! hits. Yeah. But like over and over and it, over. It's mostly yeah, Africa and Rosanna. Yeah, definitely <laughs> Rosanna. Like, it's, it's just those two songs because but the the tape player stuck and yeah, yeah. Well, the tape player doesn't even work. But that's that would be fine with me too. But yeah. it's I well, mean I think we've kind of realized that that may be like the musical peak of you know. Yeah. And and you've already mentioned it, but you're working on a new LP. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, we're um, we're recording it with our friend Jeff Burner, who's who's doing a good, you know, he's doing he's it. I mean, he's doing amazing, a great job. Mm-hmm. He's a great dude, and uh, and he's like making it possible because I engineered all our like early stuff, and and I just like that's really difficult. You know, it's hard to like remove yourself from the and, and you know take on the tech aspect and 
and you know be in charge of making the songs good. So Jeff is has like kind of stepped in and is like driving it forward and is just is totally killing it. And um, yeah, we're almost there. It's just like some vocals need recorded, and uh, that's about it. Amazing. Yeah. And then you're about to hit up uh, some touring with our favorites, Crim Streaker, and some South by Southwest. Oh yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> We were. We actually might not be able to do South by this year because of the record timing. Um, and Grimstreaker, and uh, you know, I, they ended up they ended up not being able to do the like tore down and stuff, which which is kind of the thing with South by. Like South by is like so last minute and so insane that it's like you know like you make it if you can. You know, if you can't, there's always next year. Um, but like the record is taking a little longer. We just we might have to make a choice between like prioritizing, you know, getting the record done the way we want it done versus you know going down to South by this year because we're going to tour a bunch this year also, and uh, you know I'm sure we'll be down in Austin and hopefully we can pull Grim Streaker out because they would be a fun band to tour with I think. Yeah. They'd be awesome. Well, we want to make sure we have time for one more song. But where can people find you? Hear your P, see one of your millions of shows. <laughs> oh yeah. Uh, so, uh, well, I mean, we're on Spotify and, and Bandcamp and all that stuff. Uh, we're playing, a, a, yeah, a whole bunch of shows. By the time this goes up, I'm sure there will be some shows in, in March and April and stuff. There's, there's kind of a, like a loft party we're planning that, you know, mm-hmm. you'll have more details about. April 14th. April 14th. That'll be real good. Not um, dropping any hints. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you should come to that show. It'll be fun. Um, yeah, so you can find us on all the like you know the normal spots, and uh, and we just put out a seven inch that should be in like shops around Brooklyn and stuff pretty soon, uh, so that you can pick those up there or at our shows. Great. Well, thanks for listening to another episode of Snacky Tunes. We'll be back next week with an all new one. What is the name of the last song you're gonna play for us? Uh, this one is High Ideal. This was one of the like early songs we wrote, and it's like it's kind of. Uh, it's changed in you know different iterations, and we're also playing more of a stripped down thing for this. So you're not you, you know there's some elements um, there's some elements in these in the recordings that you would hear um, otherwise. Uh, but yeah, this is an example of one. This one's going to be on our LP also, um, kind of like re, you know taking another swing at it, see see what we get out of it. But yeah, this one's called a high ideal. Final question: If you could be any food or dish that represents Big Bliss, what would it be? Oh, food that represents Big Bliss. Oh, man. I mean, do we each get an answer? Uh, yes. Okay. You're, um, you're all individuals. I'm not trying to be cliche, but it would be pizza, 100% for me. Perfect. It would be pizza for you? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I'm going to go with cereal. I would do Really? A, yeah, like a good bowl of cereal, though. Like I thought you real hate cold cereal. Milk. What? Who told me they... I thought you... One of you told me you hated cereal because no, you ate you it too it. much a long time ago. Oh, well, that doesn't mean I hate the concept of cereal. Oh. I, I still love cereal in its okay. existence in the world. I thought so. you'd say Cheez-Its. Oh, shit. Cheez-Its. Um, it's like a bowl of fruit. <laughs> <laughs> like, they, like a sort assorted fruit. Like, you know, sometimes there's a lot of pineapple in it. Sometimes there's grapes, think- you know. The Corey more pineapple in it, the better, though, because that's <laughs> always the best like element of a mm-hmm. fruit bowl. It's like yeah, you know, yeah. you, the pineapple gets. We're trying out to put as much fruit. pineapple in there as much as possible. But, you know. Perfect. <laughs> All right, <Okay>. cool. <laughs> Take us out.
We talk about food. We talk about music with musical dudes. Finger on the pulse, snacky tunes. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening. Ever wonder what kind of podcast Julia Child would have made? Probably would have been one where she introduced you to all of her latest discoveries and favorite people. And that's exactly the tradition we're following on Inside Julia's Kitchen, the podcast of the Julia Child Foundation for Gastronomy and the Culinary Arts. Join me, Todd Shulkin, your host, and the Foundation's Executive Director, as I bring you inside the Foundation's world to meet the bright lights of today's food universe, just as Julia used to do from her own famous kitchen. New episodes air on Heritage Radio Network, Wednesdays at noon Eastern. Listen in.